Yes, my name is Craig and uh, bringing you greetings from quarantine. Yeah, the virus got my family. And so we are spending uh, some time in isolation as we are all recovering. And just want to say thank you so much for the messages and the love and the meals that you guys as a community have provided for us and just the love that you have sent our way. We're really grateful to be part of such an incredible community who just loves and cares about each other so much. And I'm also so thankful for everyone who works so hard behind the scenes in making church happen. You know, we work very hard for everyone to still have an opportunity to abide in Christ and to hear His words preached and to be able to engage in worship in some form, whether in person or online or half online and in person. But I'm just grateful that we've got this opportunity still today with everything going on in the craziness of the season to still engage with the things of the Lord and to worship Him and celebrate Him, especially in this incredibly significant, meaningful time of the year for us as believers. You know, it's important that we celebrate Christmas every single year. And it's not just this repetitive thing for us, but it's important for us to engage time and time again in the significance that love came down, that God took on flesh, became a man, made his dwelling amongst us. The ramifications of all of this and the truths of all of this have a bearing on us every single day. And I'm just excited that we get to delve into that once again. You know, and just this idea of the ladder, this theme that we, or representation that we have, is a rejection of this lie that people believe that I have to work to get God's favor. That I have to work and earn and climb. And if I'm good enough, if I work hard enough, if I try hard enough, I might reach a level eventually where I'm accepted by God, where I've done enough to earn a place with him to earn uh, his salvation and it's this lie that gets perpetuated that we often buy into that it's about what I do and how hard I work and how hard I try to earn God's love to earn his favor to earn a place in his kingdom but what we are uh, digging into this series is the reminder that no It's actually completely different. We don't have to climb up to God. That's impossible. We can't get to him by our works and through our own efforts. No, love came down to us. God comes in the form of a man. He takes on flesh and he enters into our world. We call this the incarnation. um, And it's the, 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 this thing that we celebrate Every single year, we're a week out from that. And what a joy to be deepening our understanding of what it means to have God with us, the birth of Jesus. So let's uh, remind ourselves of the ground that we've covered so far in the series. In week one, Steve unpacked for us that uh, one of the primary things of the, the incarnation is that Jesus is able to identify with us. In being fully human, he experienced pain. He experienced loss. The 
text that is so just encouraging is we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us. No, we have someone who is tempted in every single way, who fully understands every emotion that we are going through. So when I turn to the Father, when I pray and I unpack what I'm going through, my God, my Savior goes, yes, I understand. He can identify fully with every human experience because he experienced it too. When we think about the incarnation, we have a savior who can identify with us. And then last week, and let me tell you, if you missed last week's message, go on to uh, with some of these truths. And so Jesus is just kind of unpacking this for them. But there's something really important in this specific interaction that we're going to read in John chapter 14 from verse 5. So Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going. So how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? And this is what's so important for us in this, this uh, interaction. Anyone who has seen me has seen the father. How can you say, show me the father? Don't you believe that I am in the father and that the father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. See, this interaction often just gets glanced over. You know, we love the parts and it's such an important part where Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. And we often dwell on, on that part of the interaction. But in verse 10, where Jesus says to Philip, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. And this is what is so important about the incarnation and about the birth of Jesus. And one of the things that it reveals to us, and if you're taking notes, here's something that's really important for us. Is when you see the son, you see the father. And what the incarnation of Jesus reveals to us is the nature and characteristics of the father. See, we have these finite brains that need boundaries to help us wrap our heads around some things. And when you're dealing with this uh, infinite God, and, and often we use the language like kind of what our brains can grasp is like a candle when God is the sun. And it's so hard for us to try and, and get handles and fully grasp the nature, the characteristics of God, who God is, how do I know him? And so 
the incarnation of Jesus helps us understand the Father. As Jesus is saying, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The words I say, it's his authority. I'm in the Father, the Father's in me. Look at even the works that I do. And so when we look at the life of Jesus, the way he interacted with people, everything he did, all that he spoke reveals to us the Father. We can't count to affinity. It's just our brains can't get there. We could eventually get to 100 million because there's a boundary that's, that's got some borders. Our brains can, can wrap around that. And without the revelation of Jesus, we would struggle to know the heart and nature of God. And so it's so important for us to really uh, understand well who Jesus is because Jesus reveals to us who the Father is. And so maybe here's just a side challenge. Why don't you take some time this week to read one of the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Those are the life accounts of Jesus. And in every single account, you are seeing the Father revealed. Because if you see the Son, you see the Father. And so what I'm going to do for us in the next few minutes is I'm going to take some snapshots, some of my favorite accounts through the life of Jesus that build for me an understanding of who the Father is that just invites me into relationship with Him and that just uh, creates such joy and love for me because Jesus reveals the Father. So what do I learn about the Father through the life of Jesus? So the first one is Mark chapter 2 and verse 15. It says this, While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many that followed him. Now this kind of verse uh, pops up all over the New Testament and it really upset the religious leaders. Jesus associated himself with people that society deemed were unworthy, were outcasts, were unacceptable, that were hated by the kind of religious elite. Jesus associated himself with them. Sinners, tax collectors, drunkards, gluttons, prostitutes, the sick, the lame. Jesus always associated himself with them. He spent time with them. He went into their homes. He had meals with them and it made people upset. But he repeatedly did this. He associated with people that society rejected. So if you think about even the people that were in Jesus' um, group of disciples, uh, I love this. They were unschooled fishermen. And yes, Jesus even loved fishermen. And uh, there were zealots, people who were trained uh, assassins to kill Roman leaders, as I've already mentioned, prostitutes. These were who were around Jesus. And this is what the incarnation of Jesus reveals to me, that if he didn't turn even a single one of them away, he's not going to turn me away. If there is a place for every single one of them in the company of Jesus, there is a place for me in the company of Jesus. Remember what the incarnation of Jesus reveals is the nature and character of God. And if you've seen the son, you've seen the father. If Jesus can associate with everybody, no matter who they are in society, Jesus welcomes me, me, and you. 
And it doesn't matter who you are, what you've done. There is a place for you in the kingdom of God because of who he is and how he welcomes everybody in. Even the people that seem to be the lowest in society, the most unworthy, the most despised sinners, tax collectors, prostitutes, assassins, zealots, unschooled fishermen. You name it, there is a place for them in the family and the kingdom of God. And that's what Jesus reveals. And so that's revealing the very nature and character of God. So important when you see that that is how Jesus lived his life. Second interaction that Jesus had with someone coming from John chapter 8. I'm just going to read a few verses. Otherwise, oh man, if I could just read the whole of the Gospels for us. And we just revel in the nature and character of God revealed in Jesus. But this particular one. The Pharisees had brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and they brought it to the feet of Jesus and they were wanting Jesus to kind of pronounce a blessing on them, stoning her for her sin. And as the story goes, Jesus kind of calms down and he just starts writing in the sand and um, he says, you who without sin cast the first stone. And this is just the, the back end of this interaction in John 8. Verses 10 and 11, Jesus straightened up and he asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Now, just for me, it's such an incredible passage that I think about so often because, again, And I'm going to keep coming back and I I, I really want you to hear this. When you see the son, you see the father. What Jesus is doing is revealing to us the nature and character of God. Here is someone caught in sin. Law dictated that she should be punished and she should be stoned to death. The religious leaders have her there. And Jesus very skillfully uh, deals with the situation till it's just him and her left. And he says these words to her, I do not condemn you. And what is revealing here about the nature and the character of God, and it's a mistake that we often make, is that we think God is this big God with, a, with this, this big stick that he's angry and he just wants to punish us for our sin. No. What is revealed here is a kind, gentle gracious God who goes, I don't condemn you. And we're going to deal a little bit more with this next week. But what the incarnation of Jesus reveals is that I do not stand condemned for my sin because Jesus stands condemned for my sin. He can say the words, I do not condemn you because he is going to be condemned for my sin. And as I put my faith and trust in him, and as I come to him, he forgives me and he accepts me. And so he can say to this woman caught in adultery, I don't condemn you because he knows he is going to be punished for her sin. I don't have to hide my sin. I don't have to be ashamed of my sin. One of the things that we like to do as people is the the things that we do in secret, the shameful things that we know are part of our lives. We like to bury them, box them, hide them somewhere far away and hopefully that they never get exposed. But the invitation with Jesus and the nature and character of God is no, we can bring it all to him. 
every bit of ugliness in our lives, every bit of sin, every bit of shame, we can go to him and we can just unpack it in front of him and we hear the words, I don't condemn you. Because he stands condemned in our place for our sin, for our shame. And every time we see that in how he interacts with people, the thief on the cross, he turns to Jesus and Jesus says to him, today you'll be with me in paradise. He is a God who saves, not a God who condemns. And he revealed that through his life and so revealed to us the nature and character of our father. So many interactions like that. I think one of my favorite words that is used to describe Jesus is the word compassion. In fact, 88 times in the Old Testament, it's used to describe God. And 14 times in the Gospels, it's used to describe Jesus, where he is moved by compassion. But the word has this imagery of, of bowels being moved in your stomach, that gut-wrenching agony. When you see someone in need, Jesus was moved by compassion. And it was his compassion that compelled him to feed uh, the masses, to heal people. What kept him on the cross was his compassion for us, revealing to us the nature and character of God. When Jesus sees Mary and Martha at uh, the loss of Lazarus and they are so upset and are grieving, Jesus weeps as he identifies with their pain. One of the times in the New Testament, Jesus gets really, really angry. He's in the temple and he sees all the behavior that's happening with them, selling things and money uh, is being exchanged. He starts to get really angry and he flips the tables and he, he fashions out a, a cord and he drives out a whip made of cord and he drives out the money lenders and he, he clears out that whole space. So to understand what's going on here, you need to understand a little bit about the temple. See, there was the inner courts where Jewish men could go and worship and offer up their sacrifice. And then just behind that was a court where women could go and do the same thing. And behind that was the court for the Gentiles, where people from the nations could come and worship God. And it was in these areas that these guys had set up these tables where they were selling things and, and doing money exchanging. And what that meant was there was no space for the women and Gentiles to come and worship. People from the nations couldn't come and worship God. And so when Jesus drives them out, what he's doing is he's clearing out that space so that everybody could come and worship where they're supposed to come and worship. What Jesus is doing is saying no one should be ever excluded from being able to worship. And again, it's revealing the hearts and character of the Father. There is no one excluded from being invited into the kingdom of God. Think about Peter. Peter, the disciple who publicly denies Jesus three times at his biggest time of need. How would you respond to someone who does that? How do you teach or treat someone rather? Sorry. How do you treat someone who has done that to you? Who's disowned you publicly, not just once, twice, but three times. So what we see with Jesus is that he restores Peter three times. 
And after the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus, Peter still plays a significant role in the leadership of the church. He doesn't cast Peter aside for the mistakes that he makes. No, he restores Peter to full relationship with him. We see this over and over and over. Everybody that interacts with Jesus is treated with grace and love, except for the religious elites who are so proud It's the only people that Jesus opposes, but everybody else, Jesus has grace and love and kindness and gentleness. Children, he welcomes. When when people reach out to him in the crowds, he doesn't despise them. No, he's gentle with them. And that's probably Steve and I's favorite parable It's something that we speak about so much here at Riverside because it is so important to understanding of the nature of God. And that's found in Luke chapter 15. It's the story of the prodigal son. And sometimes familiarity with it kind of dilutes the impact. But a son asks for his inheritance early and he leaves and he squanders it. And while he's at the lowest of the low, eating pig slop, he thinks, let me go back to my father. And that way I just end up being a servant in his house. And this is where we pick up the story. But while he was still a long way off, the father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son is dirty. He's been living with pigs, but the father is so filled with joy that his lost son is returning that he runs to him and throws his arms around his son and he kisses him. And here the son says to the father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. See, the son's now trying to like figure out. He's probably been stewing over these words the whole journey home. And he talks to the father like, dad, I know I'm never going to be your son again. I've blown it. I've messed up too much. But I love this. But the father says to the servants, he doesn't even acknowledge the son's nonsense. Here the son's like trying to bargain and figure it out like, dad, let me just be a servant. I know I can't ever be a son again. Father just ignores. Father says to the servants, quick, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they begin to celebrate. For me, this just reveals so much about everything that is Jesus and everything that is revealed about the father and his nature and his character. The son is trying to bargain and the father ignores him. You don't get to determine whether or not you're a son of mine. I determine whether or not you're a son of mine. And he does. The son, he says, was dead and is now alive. He was lost and he's found. And the father hugs the son. He kisses the son. He puts the robe over the shoulders. He puts the ring on the finger and they celebrate because the son has returned home. This is everything that is revealed in Jesus about the father is that in the incarnation of Jesus, what is revealed is that we are unconditionally loved by the father. He is a God of love. And if you could put one word to everything that is Jesus and so everything that is the Father, it's love. The incarnation of Jesus reveals that God loves us. That's why we've called the series Love Came Down. We can't ever earn 
um, a restoration. We're just too far gone. There's just too much mess. We're just too broken. We're too alienated from the Father in our sin. And the only way that it can be restored is when love came down. God takes on flesh, becomes a human, lives the perfect life, dies the perfect death in our place for our sin. But he reveals his nature and character so we can understand that. The way we understand what the death means, what his life means, is how the Son reveals the Father to us. And what he reveals is that God loves us. That God loves me. That God loves you. You, me. In our mess, in our sin, in our failure, in our repeated failure. He just keeps welcoming us back in. Unconditionally. What he wants is relationship with us. No matter who we are, no matter what we've been through, no matter what we've done, even right now, the invitation to you and me is relationship with a loving father who wants to be in a relationship with us. And that invitation is here for us. This is what we celebrate with Christmas. The miracle of Christmas is that I am loved by the God who spoke creation into being. In all my mess, in all my sin, in all my failure, when I'm trying to argue with God as I'm trying to like figure out this ladder and climb up to it and go like, God, I'm, I'm not good enough to be a son. Let me just be a servant. He says, no, 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 no. Servants, here's my son. That's what he has done. That's what he calls us to. That's how much he loves us. That's what Jesus reveals in the incarnation. This incredible character and nature of God who loves us. Let's pray. Incredible God, I just thank you for how much you love us. And when we look at the life of Jesus, we see how that was lived out and how you revealed your nature and your character in every interaction with person. That I know that I have a place in your kingdom. That you accept me, that you love me unconditionally, that you call me your son. Not because of who I am by and, and through what I've done, but, but through who you are and through what you have done. And so we just thank you so much for that. In your incredible name. Amen.